Father in heaven, uh, we come to you again this morning needing your grace and your, your mercy in you. And we pray that uh, you'd look on us in Jesus, that you'd pardon all our sins of this last week, uh, that you'd be merciful to us and pour your spirit upon us and fill us with faith and hope and love. Uh, bless us this morning and make us, uh, we pray, uh, more and more into the image of your son who came and lived and died for us. In his name we ask. Amen. Okay, so... Um, uh, we're getting towards the end of this series. Adam and Eve in exile. What does it mean to be men and women uh, east of Eden? And so far what we try to do is walk through scripture seeing really two things. Patterns and prescriptions. The prescriptions are just the rules, and they're pretty clear. Um, two of the most discussed, and we, we slowed down to look at them. Two of the most discussed, well, they're not the most important by any means, but just two of the most discussed are the ones about marriage and the one about church leadership. Okay, so we, we slowed down to look at 1 Timothy 2 and Ephesians 5, those sort of passages. One of the things you tend to see on this topic, and you've seen it, we're going to come back to this later in the discussion, you've seen it loads in, in, in recent times, actually, just the last few weeks, I've seen it loads online, is that people tend to be very kind of clear on the prescriptions, but treat the patterns as if they're almost kind of unimportant, second best. Um, and yet, when you look at how Jesus treats the patterns, he treats them as, well, pretty much authoritative. So when Jesus asks questions about marriage... He goes back to Genesis 2 and says, have you not read? But if you read Ephesians 2, there are no actual rules in Genesis 2. Okay? At no point does God say, this is how it must be when it comes to marriage. Rather, what we see is one man and one woman being united together. and you know, We all know that pattern, but it is just a pattern in Genesis 2. At no point does God say, and this is the only way it should be, or this is how it will be forevermore. At no point does God say, by the way, it is significant, this is a man and a woman, a man and a man won't work. At no point does God say, it's only got to be one of each, don't start adding in more people. And yet, even though there are no rules, no prescriptions, the pattern is clearly, in Jesus' mind, binding. In other words, sometimes the patterns of scripture are just as binding as the rules. And I think our tendency is to miss that and think, well, unless it's a direct rule, unless you can give me a verse that literally says you must do this or you mustn't do that, then kind of all bets are off. You can just say, well, that's a bit, you know, that's one way of doing it or that's one pattern, but we don't necessarily have to follow it and, and all the rest. It's exactly the same when Paul addresses the issue of church leadership. Paul, addressing the question in 1 Timothy 2 about, you know, who can be elders and who has authority to teach and all the rest of it, goes back to the ordering of creation. You know, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Um, you know, man was made first and all the rest of it. And you look back at Genesis 2 and say, look, there is no, there's not even a mention of ministers in Genesis 2. It doesn't talk about elders or pastor teachers. Uh, it doesn't talk about the church explicitly. So, Paul, how can you go there and think it's binding on a church in Ephesus some, what could say, how many thousands of years later? And yet Paul does. In other words, the patterns of Genesis in the garden in particular, pre-fall in the garden, are meant to be much more striking than just kind of vague indications of one way things might, might work. Now, I'm not saying 
therefore, that literally every example of every person in Scripture we have to follow. Clearly, there are people who do things badly in Scripture and you don't follow them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, there are just different examples of people doing things differently, and that, that's fine too. So I'm not saying literally every single person in Scripture we copy, obviously, but Genesis 1 to 3 seemed pretty fundamental, pretty foundational. Um, wh- why am I kind of laboring that point? Um, hopefully what you've picked up as we've been going through is that the, the whole universe, okay, the whole of creation is built with these complementary pairs. Um, just, I've, I've banged this drum endlessly. Sun, moon, night, day, land, sea, sky, earth. On and on it goes, all the way through the creation account. And of course, male, female. They're complementary, but they're not better, worse. Okay, so it's not sun, moon, sun good, moon bad, you know, sky bad, land good, or something like that. It, they're just complementary. Um, so some Christians, when it comes to the, the complementarity of the, the genders, okay, male and female, want to tone it right down, turn the dial right down, until it's talking only about marriage and the church. So the only thing really that matters when it comes to, to gender issues is the question of church leadership and the question of kind of the ordering within marriage. Um, that's sometimes been called narrow complementarianism, so narrow complementarity, where basically the answer to the question, um, you know, what does it mean to be a godly boy or what does it mean to be a godly girl, you know, when your little daughter asks you, um, the answer is, well, there's no difference apart from when you get married or basically little Emma, you can't be a church elder and, you know, little Duncan, maybe you could be. Um, I... That, that, that position tends to work on the, on, the, on the kind of argument that unless you can show me a direct verse that commands something or forbids something, then you, there's nothing more really to say. So you, you, you're going to discuss this a bit later, but one example of this I've seen loads recently online is loads of conservative evangelical ministers, I don't know why they feel the need to, but for some reason feel the need to go on social media and talk about how... Um, uh, basically how it's bad that Ukraine are saying men have to fight in the army but not women okay, there's no rules in the New Testament that say you shouldn't you know, get your women to fight too and it's true you can't find a verse in the New Testament that says um, you should only force your men to fight in the army and not your women no verse so the argument goes like nothing to say off you do um, women and men equally should be conscripted in the army I don't quite know why Ukraine needs the comments of English Conservative Medical Ministers, frankly, but for some reason, that's been quite a thing. I've seen it in, in several places, actually, recently. So that would be an example of narrow complementarism. Give me a Bible verse that explicitly says something, otherwise I'm not interested. But I, I, I just don't think, that's, I don't think that's helpful, frankly. I don't think that's, that's how the, the Bible works. These patterns are far more significant in Jesus' mind, Paul's mind, and I think they should be in ours. Um, the other thing, incidentally, that what tends to happen in that really narrow complementarianism is it, get, it does, the only commands anyone ever looks at are the, the marriage ones and the, um, the ones in one Timothy 2 about leaving the church. But actually, we've, we've seen in passages like Titus 2 and 1 Timothy 5, there are all sorts of other commands, actually, which tend to get ignored. But anyway, leaving that aside, um, what I want to try and, we've got three weeks left, and what I want to try and do in these last three we- we- weeks is just try and show that the Bible, I think, has a broader picture of the relationship between the, the two genders, the two sexes. And frankly, this doesn't make it right, but frankly, that's what almost everybody has thought throughout the entire of history. Um, now, as ever, could be wrong, obviously. People are wrong 
Um, but it's a, it is a very modern thing to reduce it down to just very narrowly issues of marriage and, and church leadership. Um, and also, to be blunt, even outside of Christian societies, you know, take the army one, how many societies in history have thought, do you know what, we should shove all our women in the army? Like, none, <laughs> as far as I'm aware of, you know, some mythical Amazonians, but that's about it. Um, yeah. So, um, I've lost some place in my notes. So, yeah, so what I'm trying to do is, is this broader picture, okay, uh, as, we, as we wrap up these last three weeks, today and, and two more weeks. Um, I started this series, I think week one, by stealing an illustration from Kevin DeYoung, which I think is a helpful one, as he's comparing this broad and narrow kind of complementarianism. Uh, he, he said, like, it, it, narrow complementarianism, the one that says it's just about those two issues. So it's a bit like somebody who's got two footballs. I'm going to anglicise his illustration, but... Um, Imagine someone with two footballs, and you decide that one of them you're going to keep indoors, you know, it's for the kids to play with indoors, and one's for outside in the mud, but there's no difference between the two, just arbitrarily you've decided one's going to be for indoor, one's going to be for outdoor use. Um, that, he says, is, is basically the position of a narrow complementarian position. Okay, you've got men and women, okay, and other than these two areas of, you know, gender, uh, sorry, of, of church leadership and of um, marriage... They're basically totally interchangeable. And therefore, it's more or less a bit arbitrary that God decided the man was going to lead, lead in church and home and, and the woman was going to be the one not leading in church and home. Because other than that, there's no real difference. So it's almost a bit of a coin toss. Where, what de Young argues is, is we're more like, men and women are more like um, rugby balls and footballs. Um, lots of similarities, obviously. Okay, rugby balls and footballs, they're both used for sport, they're both full of air, both made of leather back in the day or whatever. Um, and at a push... Of course, you could play a game of football with a rugby ball, or a game of rugby with a football. Okay, it's possible. No one's saying it's biologically, or sorry, physically impossible. But, it's, but there are still differences that mean that is not the way it's meant to be. And therefore, there are reasons sort of woven into what it means to be male and female. There are reasons for why um, God called men to lead in the marriage and uh, the church. Uh, and also, therefore... Um, there, are, there are outworkings that go beyond those two narrow, narrow areas. So what we want to look at these last weeks, tying it all together, really is that question. You know, your daughter toddles up to you and says, what does it mean, mummy, to be a, a godly woman, particularly a woman, <laughs> or a godly man, daddy? And of course there's going to be loads. Most of your first answers to that question are going to be the same whether you're talking to your daughter or your son, okay, a student girl or a student boy. Because it's about confessing your sins, trusting Jesus, loving your neighbour. Loads and loads and loads of it's going to be the same. Okay, so don't mishear me. We're not, you know, it's not men are from Mars and women from Venus or whatever that book was. Um, huge overlap, obviously. But there are some distinctions. Uh, next week we're going to look at men. The week after we'll look at women. And this week all I want to do is um, look big picture at some of the ways the Bible distinguishes the two. Okay, so we're not going to get to loads of detail, loads of application, but we just feel like seeing that actually God in the Bible does, does speak about them differently. We're not just humans. We are male and female. So it'd be quite kind of high, high level, as it were, um, and then you're, you're going to do some discussion. And I'm robbing loads of this this week off De Young. His little book, I think it's called Men, Women in the Church, something like that, is, is, is very helpful, I think. It's a short read, and if you've... Um, if your interest has been piqued by this series, then that would be a good one to uh, good one to look at. He's got a little alphabet. He goes A B C D E, and I'm going to nick it 
and just twitch, switch around a little bit, but, but lots of this is wrong from him. So, A, appearance. Where do we, where do we see differences there? Uh, one of the most obvious passages, 1 Corinthians 11, we looked at last week. I don't want to go over it again. But, but just how we present ourselves is meant to be different. So 1 Corinthians 11, you might remember, is the head covering passage. Uh, we talked about the way that um, it's a disgrace for a man to cover his head. A, a woman needs to. Um, and all, albeit that was a, a particular cultural context, what Paul was emphasising was that, that gender distinctions still exist when we come to church. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Um, I don't think it's a verse we've looked at so far, but part of when God set up a country, Israel, and gave them laws, laws which were obviously good, even if they're not necessarily all binding today. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, male clothes, nor shall a man put on women's clothes. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Again, it's just always been there. God made you male and female, so present yourself that way. And fine, different cultures have slightly different things about what men look like and what women look like and in Scotland you can wear a kilt and that's totally cool and masculine and in England it might be a bit weird if you wear a skirt and all the rest of it but appearance matters Uh, that's because of course the body matters in the beginning God made them male and female Um, God needn't have done that he could have just made us human he can do anything he wants couldn't he but he didn't there is a design woven into us and the more we learn about the body, you know, compared to what people knew 2,000 years ago, the more we see that. It's woven even to the level of your chromosomes, isn't it? Every cell of your body is male or female. You know, a biologist would need virtually none of you to be able to work out, um, yeah, whether you're a boy or a girl. It's not just about genitalia or reproductive organs, although they are very significant, as we'll see. Um, it's, it's, it's wired into our bodies. So appearance, body, calling. Uh, hopefully we've, we've picked this up on the way through. 